0: Welcome back everybody. You're listening to the Northern Miner Podcast and I am your host Matthew Keevil. As always we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please surf by yukonminingalliance.ca and check out all the exciting exploration and development activity in Canada's Yukon Territory. And are you ready to rock? It is almost conference season. It's a Right around the corner. Uh, We got the Cambridge Investment Conference this coming weekend. uh, And we also have Roundup next week. So this is going to be busy. We're going to be firing on all cylinders. Uh, You'll find Leslie and myself on the floor at both shows, recording video, audio, and picking up some interviews for uh, some awesome tech stories. Um, So yeah, do come by, say hello, stop by our booth. Uh, We will definitely be around and we always like to say hello to everybody. Um, And while we're on the vein of conferences, um, I will be participating in a panel, uh, the Yukon Lunch Panel on January 23rd. 3rd at the Cambridge show. It is a ticketed event. We have some great panelists lined up for you. Um, And uh, please do think about, uh, well, at least stopping by and saying hello, but also picking up tickets. Uh, The panel will include Byron King from the Daily Reckoning uh, and Gwen Preston from the Resource Maven. Uh, So it'll be a great chat. Uh, We'll be uh, tackling everything from macro down to uh, some of the uh, more um, specific Yukon related concepts, new government and things like that. Uh, So yeah, do, do think about stopping by. It'll be a great chat and as for the show this week it's going to be great Uh, as always I always say that I always say that but I feel like we do have great shows um so uh... Leslie will be dropping by we have an awesome geology corner this week it is investment related uh... so if you're out there looking at mining stocks thinking hmm maybe this is looking like we might be emerging from a down market uh... what should I look for in stocks Leslie's gonna stop by and come at that question from a geologist point of view so we will be chatting a bit on what she looks at when she's writing up stories uh... looking at companies in interviewing uh, VPXs, interviewing executives, what she looks at in technical reports. Uh, so Leslie's going to swing by and wade in with her experience on working in the industry and also covering it from the newspaper point of view. Uh, so that's going to be a great geology corner. We'll run that in a little bit. But before we dig into that, there are some important macroeconomic and sociopolitical issues that definitely deserve a mention. It should be noted that bullion prices have risen every day in 2017 except for One. Scotiabank cites this as evidence that investors are pricing in a quote-unquote rocky year ahead. Meanwhile, the United Kingdom is preparing to severe ties with Europe. Prime Minister Theresa May is setting up for a major speech on Tuesday in which she will lay out a plan for Brexit. This will likely involve the UK pulling out of the European Union's single market for goods and services and seeking a completely new trade relationship. Furthermore, Donald J. Trump continues to send shockwaves to the global economy. Recent comments by Trump insinuated that the U.S. dollar was too high and sent the currency reeling. The context of the comments was in reference to China, and Trump said, Our companies can't compete with them now because our currency is too strong, and it is killing us. So that uh, would explain why our gold prices have risen today and for the bulk of 2017. As we were recording today, uh, gold was trading at $1,218.40 per ounce. Silver was trading at $17.18 per ounce. Copper was down to $2.62 per pound. While West Texas Intermediate Oil was up to $53.26 per barrel. And as mentioned previously, we have a lot of gold reporting going on in terms of quarterlies and producers uh scotia bank was nice enough to send us over gold price share per performance uh in terms of from september 30th and that was the last time gold was above 1300 dollars the gold price close at q316 was 1316 dollars per ounce and is now down about eight percent uh so what scotia bank sent over was a price performance us dollar adjusted chart from september 30th through to the present So what we're dealing with here is just a list of the top performing and bottom performing gold equities since Q4 2016. Steen. And so I'll just rattle off maybe the top five to maybe six or seven of uh, the top performing and bottom performing stocks over the last quarter. Um, starting with IM Gold at number one, which is up 12% since September 30th to $4.52 per share. Number two is Golden Star Resources, which is up 8% to $0.90 cents per share. B2 Gold comes in third, up 7% to $2.82 per share. Fourth is Oceana Gold, which is up 5% to $3.15. Cents per share. Well, we're getting into silver a little bit here, but Hecla is up 5% to $5.97 per share. The bottom five performing stocks include Primero, which is down 52% quarter on quarter to 80 cents per share. Detour Gold is down 38% to $13.51 per share. Tahoe Resources is down 30% to $9 per share. Goldfields is down 29% to $3.44 per share. And Alistair Gold is down 26% to $1.85 per share. Interesting stuff. Uh, Some of the major Canadian miners will look at. um, Goldcorp is down uh, since the fourth quarter 11% to $14.66 per share. That's about... um, ranks 27th on our chart. Uh, One of the other ones we wanted to look at was Barrick, which is down 3% to $17.23 per share. Um, And also, just a quick look at some of our major streamers. Franco Nevada is down 8% to uh, $64.23 per share. Sandstorm Gold is down 10% to $4.53 per share. Um, Meanwhile, Silver Wheaton is down 24% to $20.64 per share. So it'll be very interesting to see as we move forward here We can sustain a uh, gold price between 1250 and 1300, how these equities respond. And while we're on the news of gold majors, there are a pair of releases from last week that definitely deserve mention. Uh, both involve Goldcorp and both involve asset sales. On January 12th, Goldcorp announced the sale of its Los Filos Mine in Mexico to Lia Gold Mining Corporation, symbol lmc h uh, This deal included consideration of roughly $438 million, which consists of $279 million in cash and $71 million in Lia Gold common shares. Uh, as we know, we've heard uh, numerous times, David Garofalo, the new president and CEO of Goldcorp, has uh, sort of earmarked Los Filos as a non-core asset that was available. Um, it, the interesting uh, sort of angle on this deal is that Leagold is a, essentially a startup or shell controlled by Frank Justra and Neil Woodyard's group. Uh, so they are two people who can definitely raise that sort of capital to acquire the asset, which is somewhat rare uh, for, I shouldn't call them juniors, but necessarily, but startups uh, in this business currently. So that should be one to watch Leah Gold um, to see what they do with that and what else they might have in their back pocket in terms of acquisitions. Um, Also the smaller of the two deals was announced on January 11th wherein Gold Corp sold its Cerro Blanco project to Bluestone Resources for around $18 million in cash. Now once again this is a a little bit of an interesting due to the corporate vehicle on the buy side uh Bluestone Resources is a shell controlled by John Robbins and the group uh formerly uh many of Caminat Gold which was previously acquired by Goldcorp. Uh so this is sort of uh, obviously relationships are important and uh they've picked up this asset in Guatemala. Um, once again we knew um that uh, Goldcorp was rather keen to get out of country. Uh they are in the process um, of uh sort of shutting down their Marlin mine. Uh, reclamation and revegetation activities are will be ongoing I should say over the next three years. So that's just a couple of interesting little side notes in terms of uh, the gold majors. One of the other things that we picked up from uh, the investors day, uh, David Garofalo mentioned he's interested in um, picking up partners to develop large scale projects due to uh, decreasing risk, which is is a fairly obvious statement. Uh, he also said they're looking at M&A uh, to find more large resources that are undeveloped right now uh, because the gold mining industry quote unquote risks irrelevant. uh so that's just a few uh side notes from the gold uh, reporting we'll touch base on some base metals and things like that in future episodes as well as any uh gold earnings that come out subsequently but let's get on to it uh we've got leslie's geology corner and there's some really exciting stuff in here um this week, we'll be touching on sort of, as I mentioned, an investment angle, uh, wherein Leslie will draw upon her experience both as a geologist and a reporter in the industry to sort of outline what she looks at when she is vetting companies, going through news releases and reading 4301 technical reports. Uh, so she'll dig into a little bit of uh, things on drill hole reporting, mapping, um, you know, how best practices in terms of exploration and things like that. So it's really cool and really valuable if you're looking at this market and thinking, well, hey, commodities are up quite a bit. People have made a lot of money over the last 12 months. but where do I start? Well here's a good place to start. Uh, so let's let's crack right into it and let Leslie talk to us a little bit about a geologist's point of view on mining investing. Um, and it's a really interesting segment so'll uh, I'll run it now and I'll see you guys on the flip side.
1: Yes, happy 2017 Matthew and everybody listening. So I thought that I'd kick off the new year with um, maybe top six ways to tell if a company has a good handle on their project's geology. Things that investors commonly overlook.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay, that sounds great.
1: Cool, well, maybe I'll just kick it off. Number six. These companies, they report cut versus uncut gold assays. Now, while there's no global standard on how to calculate intercept, intercepts, it's um, usually specific to the project or the company, But since we've seen a rally in gold prices last year, I also saw a rally in uncut assay reports, okay? So I kind of equate it to like a Russian doll. You have a doll within a doll within a doll, but this one it's like you have an intercept with an including and an including and an including and an including. Yeah,
0: there's like 80 of them.
1: Yeah, and then suddenly you get to the point where your 10 meter wide intercept was actually a 30 centimeter interval of 1600 grams gold with a really broad halo of low gold low grade gold around it. So it happens. So I feel like a company that is really confident in their project will not only be clear with their intercept if it's uncut, but they'll also kindly save you the trouble of having to figure it all out on your own by presenting cut assay results. So chopping it off, letting it go. Number five, they don't take claim of historical results. So although recycling is super good for the planet, Um, recycled historical drill results isn't and I've seen some companies report drill holes from within meters of historical drilling this totally normal by the way they do it to kind of like you know, make sure that the previous drilling was accurate, and so they can use the data with confidence. But sometimes, you know, I come across a number of repetitive press releases from a company with bold statements saying, our company hit, you know, 70, 65 grams of gold over three meters. But I'm sitting there, and I'm all like, well, you kind of did, but you didn't. And so I'm sitting there, I'm just like, you never hit that, the other company did, but they can't really hear me because I'm just talking to a computer screen. But anyway, so that's... Um, So I feel like a company that's really focused on the future, they're not gonna spend a lot of time in the past. And number four, this one especially, they're guided by their inner structural geologist. That structural geology is the most underappreciated aspect of a geologist's job, yet it's the most critical. At least I think so, and a lot of my friends think so too. So this is made glaringly obvious with of course Rubicon's demise. with the Phoenix project, where their tabular-shaped ore bodies suddenly became this an echelon vein system. Surprise. So, in fact, like, you know, the majority of projects I've visited or I've looked at, you know, very rarely do they have oriented drill core. And I'm talking about Greenfields projects, where they don't have, they're not collecting any measurements, structural measurements of the drill core down hole because they're not doing this specific tool that you do during the drilling process. And so when I ask them, you know, why is this not part of the program, they'll say, you know, either it's too expensive. Yeah. Well, it is, but it's for the value what you get is enormous, but I know what you mean. So um, or they also say, you know, it won't work here, which I get. I totally get that because yeah. sometimes you can't do downhole structural orientation because the rocks are really broken up. Or maybe you actually have tons of structural measurements because there's a lot of outcrop on the surface. Right. So that makes total sense. But in all other scenarios, you know, just popping in a few drill holes with oriented drill core can really give an explorer a huge bearing on their target. Yeah, so you basically, like, you drill um, as you're drilling at the end of every single run, like, however meters, um, the driller will kind of, like, orient the core so that it's facing a certain um, earth orientation, and they mark, like, a little mark on the drill core. And then you can draw a line down that... <laughs> I'm explaining this terribly, but you, drill, you draw a line down the core okay. and then that gives the geologist um, how that oh, core is sitting in space. Sufficient so it's like the it. bottom. It's like that line is the bottom of the hole. Okay. So okay. the perfect bottom Yeah. Um, relative to its angle. And then you can like take measurements of different angles in that core and then you just pop that into your computer program. And then that tells you, wait, this vein is actually dipping like vertical or this direction, rather than this other direction that we thought it was going. It's a simple tool that you rent from the drill company, and then it takes like maybe another, I don't know, it depends on how deep your hole is, but it's not not like really expensive, it's actually like not that much, considering that you're doing drill core, diamond drill core in the first place. A company for me um, that will be the most successful at exploring greenfield targets will have a strong structural understanding of their deposit, or the project and the region they're working in and you'll see that on their company website you know in the presentation they'll, they'll have a good firm handle on it which is kind of hilarious because that's number three context you know their press releases you know your your company that you hold dear to your heart their press releases company presentations and website provides beautiful glorious context to the project and to the drill results specifically so there's nothing worse, I don't know if you are like this too, mm-hmm. but when, when you're reporting on a company and you have to dig through your company website to find where their drill results came from. Yeah, right? Yeah, there's, and no,
0: there's no collar map. Or there's anything. nothing,
1: yeah. and I'm just like, I like knowing how much of a step out the holes were from previous drilling, right? Yeah. We have to report on it. In the case of gold, if the intercept is made really far away, it could be a completely different mineralizing system, right? Yeah. If it's too close from the previous intercepts, it hasn't added any value to the project. And there's ways, um, there's ways um, there's so much more to a drill hole than just an assay number. So a company that is well organized and super knowledgeable, they're gonna be transparent with their data. So they know that for an investor to do their due diligence accurately, the more context, the better. Number two is they'll all have really sexy geology maps. I'm talking about you know your favorite your favorite company. Yeah, the company yeah. that you want to invest in, they'll all have really sexy geology maps. Um kind of going back to the previous one, sometimes I've really struggled to find even a geology map on a company's website. Mm-hmm. And you know, worse still, when I can't find it in their technical report, like a PEA. Like it's just a really poor quality one oh. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so um, it lacks a lot of super important data and all that I think is really critical, again, for an investor to do their own due diligence. So for me, like whatever geology map is placed in a company's PEA or a feasibility study or on their website for the whole world to see, is the map their geologists have to work with when they're planning drilling. So if the quality of that map is really poor or outdated, then the drill holes that these geologists are planning may not be accurately positioned, if that's the map that they're working with. Um, and combine that with no downhole structural data, can you imagine? It would just be like <laughs> seriously making assumptions and shooting blind. So a company that has a really strong foundation for drill planning that will you know, have the best success with their programs will have a suite of maps available. Um, the final one, number oh, one. I'm pretty sure I can guess what it is. But. Well, actually, it's, well, yeah, like the, the geology map one originally was number one. Yeah. But I kind of realized, wait a sec, when I was doing all this, I thought, no, there's something else here that I'm missing. There's something more important than all of this. Yeah. And I realized is that the company that you want to invest in, their technical data won't be overkill. So yeah. while it's great that a company has, like, heaps of maps and they have, like, great presentations and good structural geology, it's like anything in life, um, you know, and anything else in life, you know, a balance mm-hmm. is totally necessary. So you can't be too cute, as Eric Sprott would say. Yeah. Right? Um, trying to figure out where your next big strike will lie. Because there is such a thing, There's there's a saying in geology amongst geologists, you know, you're either a splitter or you're a clumper. And so splitters of course are people who just like look too closely at all the details so these are the geologists that are always trying to outwit the ore body but you can't outwit the ore body it's impossible the ore body has control always yeah geologists rarely does and so a company that's really well balanced will also allow room for some dumb luck creativity and and be adventurous enough to like go against the status quo right they're confident yet they're humble and the best way that they get a feel, um, and the best way to get a feel for this aspect, right, is mm-hmm. to go to the trade shows and talk to them. Because um, yeah, you I mean, can really get a feel for, like, where they stand in that splitter-clumper sort of mode. And you can see it on their website, too, if you get super overwhelmed by so much information, you know, that there's an art to this industry. yeah. So or really, you, don't little, yeah. You, know, you, you don't want to give too little, you know, you don't want to be overlooking things at the drill rig which leads to disastrous results. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, you don't want to be drilling blind. So there is a good balance there. And I feel like just as a geologist now, I've been reporting for the past two years. When I report news, I report news as I see it. Mm -hmm. But there's always this geologist sitting in the back of my mind being like, where is that geology map? You know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I need to look at this (laughs) Why? Like, why isn't
1: there a geology map? So I thought... Who has it? Where is it? (laughs) And I'm like fumbling on my back. Yeah. You know? I'm trying to draw one of like you know putting in the coordinates and just drawing and how yeah. much of a step out drill hole is. Well, you know you know it's a side note too. Ivanhoe. Yeah. I used to work for Ivanhoe for a really short period of time. I hurt my back and I came back home. Mm-hmm. And I got to give them a shout out because if there's one company that I uh, that I worked for, they're all great. But if there's one company that I really got to say stood out in all corners of you know, being able to do your technical side and being super well organized and, and having that balance, it, it was Ivanhoe. As a geologist working on their projects, I was like so blown away by just the, um, the, the ability I had to be able to move, to do my technical work, but at the same time do my deliverables and keep my eye on the ball at all times, but still have that creativity to play with.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, it, was, it was, yeah, like if I ever, if I ever met Rob Friedland, I'd tell him that, I'd be like, man, that was good.
0: And welcome back to studio. Uh, those are features we're going to be looking at providing moving into the new year wherein the Northern Miner staff offers some of their uh, expertise to help out neophyte and experienced investors looking at the mining industry. Uh, so we'll get uh, Leslie to chip in with some geology in terms of uh, what we sort of look at as a team in terms of 43-101 uh, reports and news releases. Um, and we'll also uh, reach into our, uh, our bag of tricks and uh, perhaps I'll uh, chime in on some of the financial side including things like private placements and capital raises. Um, but that sort of brings us towards the end of the show. This week, uh, just uh, a few uh, updates on what may be coming down the pike, or I should say, what is coming down the pike. Uh, we have a uranium special upcoming um, and our editor-in-chief John Cumming will be looking at uranium prices in his editorial. Uh, One note that we uh, sort of uh, earmarked uh, on January 11th, uh, Scotiabank noticed that a very positive uh, event for uranium was the announcement that the Kazakhstan uh, uranium industry will be cutting production by five million pounds or roughly ten percent. This came on the heels of a National Atomic Company Tomprom, announcement that it planned to reduce 27 uranium output by that 10% number. Uh, They cited slow uranium uranium recovery prices as the reason behind the decision. Um, So that sort of alongside the fact that Donald Trump has mentioned nuclear power as a potential strategic form of uh, of, uh, energy generation for the U.S. has seen a bounce back in uranium prices. Uh, On the personal side if you want my opinion uh, there's also the uh, concept that uranium stocks were more than likely oversold. so when you saw Cameco at sub $10 uh, you could sort of see maybe that there was room for an upside correction Um, we've also seen companies on the exploration side gain ground uh, in that regard next-gen energy being uh, first and foremost uh, with a large rise over the last two months uh, to uh, break the $3 ceiling uh, trading over $3 at the time of recording Uh, we've also seen fission and fission uranium have a bounce back Uh, it should be noted both companies have uh, either equity or debt relationships with uh, either uh, hong kong or mainland chinese interest so it should be interesting moving forward and uh, please do tune in for john's uh, editorial on uranium pricing and what might lie ahead for the industry um, but yes once again this has been the northern Miner podcast we do appreciate uh, your listenership and uh, everyone tuning in please do like us on uh, twitter uh, follow us on twitter i should say like us on facebook uh, check out our SoundCloud account um and also please do rate us on iTunes cuz that helps us out a ton and this has been Matthew Keiple reporting for the Northern Miner we'll talk to you next week